a public service announcement. Welcome to the People's Pulse Radio, a Marxist-Leninist podcast recorded and produced by the Research Fellows at the Center for Communist Studies. In this introductory episode of the People's Pulse Radio, we're going to be introducing the hosts of the podcast, we're going to talk a little about the scope of this podcast, what we hope to cover, and most importantly, we're going to spin some really fantastic communist music from all around the globe. So buckle in and let's get things kicked off with Guillotine by Boots Riley's immortal group, The Coup. Another beast that dodged the abortion Neck plate firm to the floor and the portion We'll shut your shit down, don't call it extortion Caution, we're coming for your head So call the feds and get files to shred Every textbook read said bring you the bread But guess what we got you instead
Welcome back. Here at the People's Pulse Radio, in what might at first appear to be yet another podcast in a sea of communist podcasts, we aim to set ourselves apart by resting upon the intersection of rigorous analysis, critique, scholarship, and music. We at the Center for Communist Studies are an academic activist research center dedicated to the advancement of public scholarship in the field of Marxist-Leninist studies. Our researchers come from diverse fields, such as law, political economy, philosophy, ecology, and education, and from diverse locations, such as Ireland, Wales, Brazil, India, Australia, Canada, and the U.S. In an effort to keep this podcast relevant, accessible, and necessary, we hope to take an explicitly material look at socialism and communist action in the global south and in areas of the world in which Marxist-Leninist theory thrives. And we hope to break with the Western, mainly U.S.-centric focus that other communist podcasts seem to be focused upon. And we hope to introduce you to some really killer music, communist music, from all around the globe in the process. So let's begin now with a few introductions from the podcast hosts. Starting with myself, my name is Ben, and I'm one of the founding doctoral researchers at the Center for Communist Studies. I'm currently a PhD candidate of political ecology. I have a master's degree in philosophy, another master's degree in environmental science, and I'm interested primarily in theories of nature and how theories of nature both inform and are informed by politics. I'm currently writing my dissertation on the intersection of nature, dialectical materialism, and the militarization of national borders. This is Ethan Deer. I'm based in the United States. I'm a public school teacher as well as a union member. Uh, I'm most interested in the fields of education and natural science, uh, the way that those fields sustain capitalist relations, but also the role that they play within revolutionary praxis. Hi, I'm Maya. I'm a lawyer, and my main interests lie in uh, law, understanding how the legal structures of neoliberalism contribute to its effects, and a Marxist analysis of uh, law and international law. I am Jared. I am a veteran-turned-revolutionary, a worker, a philosopher, and a historian. My background is in political theory and history, um, and I've done a pretty good amount of work on fascism and economic history. This is Christian. I am a sociologist and geographer. My areas of interest include uh, class and race relations in cities, uh, the urban-rural divide, um, the different spatial aspects of capitalism more generally, um, the use of ideology in maintaining and reinforcing capitalism, and the history of anti-imperialist and anti-colonial struggles. So the five of us, Ethan, Maya, Jared, Christian, and myself, are the main voices of People's Pulse Radio. We'll also bring in some of the other voices occasionally from the folks at the Center for Communist Studies, and we'll make sure to introduce them when they're on. And while you may not always hear from all of us on every episode, some constellation of one or all of our voices will be here with you on every episode of this podcast. All right, so before we return to the conversation, let's return to Free Dairy with Owen McDonough's bardic rendering of Bogside Volunteers a song that commemorates the 1969 battle between the Free Dairy Citizens Defense Association and the Royal Ulster Constabulary. Have a listen. Come gather round me, bunny boys, a story I will tell About the Battle of Bogside, I'm sure you know it well Twas on the 12th of August in the summer of the year When proudly I enlisted in the Bogside Volunteers When proudly I enlisted in the Bogside Volunteers Corner with McGinley and O'Toole 
as hell But the boys are building barricades And I'll tell you what I hear They're looking for recruits today And the Bogside volunteers They're looking for recruits today And the Bogside volunteers When we got to the firing line The fire was thick and fast And there we found the volunteers Determined to the last There were none of them ran for shelter There was none of them cringed for fear For here were the boys who feared no noise The Bogside volunteers For here were the boys who feared no noise The Bogside volunteers The police were firing tear gas shells They scattered all around They said they had sufficient men To bit us to the ground But we replied with petrol bombs And filled their hearts with fear For they met their match in the dairy men And the Bogside volunteers They met their match in the dairy men And the Bogside volunteers For civil rights and freedom and the Bogside Volunteers For civil rights and freedom and the Bogside Volunteers Well now me story's ended and me pen I will lay down But don't forget the three days fighting dear old Derry town I'm talking of your Lancers and your Irish Fusiliers Just bear a thought for those other lads The Bogside Volunteers Welcome back. Now have a listen as the hosts of People's Pulse Radio discuss the origins of the Center for Communist Studies, where People's Pulse fits into the rest of our projects, including our publications projects, such as our journal Peace, Land, and Bread, and more. Check it out. Do either of you want to talk about what your goal was when you started CCS, so we can just build off of that and why we start the podcast? I think that just to sort of give a little bit of historical background from where we came from, um, so Ethan... Ember and myself came from the Marx Engels Lenin Institute. I got involved in about 2017, right at the end of my first master's degree. And, you know, we did a lot of good work. We produced a journal uh, called Forward Popular Theory and Practice. Uh, it was very beautiful, you know, beautifully designed. And I think, like, almost that was the first iteration of Peace Land and Bread, or it was the sort of like trial run of Peace Land and Bread. But just due to structural, you know, organizational issues, um, we ended up leaving. And, uh, you know, Ethan and myself left. And uh, I was the one that had to sort of get dragged along with it. I didn't want to leave. I wanted to stay there. We had a pretty good reach. We had, you know, we actually recently surpassed, I think, just social media-wise at the CCS. We recently just surpassed, you know, the reach that the MELI had, like, last month, I think. After two hard years, you know, grinding on social media for that. Yeah, we, you know, the initial, you know, the initial idea of the CCS was to sort of be a, you know, be a home for sort of wayward researchers, you know, and to bridge the divide, you know, that I think is pretty stark between uh, public, you know, the public and the academic, you know, spaces, right? So there's, like, you know, I think especially in Marxist studies and sort of like, you know, in communist studies in general, they take place in specific spheres of the academy, you know, amongst people who only talk amongst themselves, right? There's like, there's like, you know, Marxist researchers and they talk to themselves and they go to specific conferences and they write journals, you know, journal articles for each other and they write books for each other. And none of that reaches the, the spaces that they should reach. It doesn't reach public spaces, right? So I think the driving mission of the CCS and, you know, you know, by extension, this podcast, the driving mission of the CCS was to engage in a sort of vibrant, 
display of public scholarship to bring what we have learned and studied and you know worked really hard for for years inside of the academy to bring that outside of the academy to the public right and to sort of like engage the public in a way that you know to show that you know say like theory or history or political philosophy these things aren't like inapproachable they're not they're things that you can do they're things that you can get into right so i think the driving mission was to engage you know people in public scholarship i think the second sort of thing we had in mind was publication right was this idea that we wanted to expand into publications the republication of like old out of print you know soviet marxist works and chinese marxist works um, and that's been a that's been something that's been in the progress or that's been in process for what two years now i think and we're just finally cracking the publication and I think third, there was this idea that we really wanted to engage in education, right? So, you know, the two prongs, I think, of scholarship are education and publication, you know, reading and writing. And yeah, yeah, I think that's really been our mission. Um, and we've been doing really well. I think we have a vibrant, you know, we have a vibrant sort of research base now of 15 or 16 researchers, all in varying stages of academic practice, uh, both inside and outside the academy. I think we straddle that divide between the public and the academy really well. Um, yeah. And I, I guess just adding on to it in the sense of where's the inspiration come from? I mean, it, it's not like the, the CCS or even the MELI before it just appeared out of a vacuum. I mean, even the, the name Marx Engels Lenin Institute was directly lifted out of an actual institution of the Soviet Union that was actually one of the, the institutions that brought together a lot of Marx and Engels' work after they had died, some things that had never been published before. So we've kind of tried to do the same thing. And I think initially, uh, you know, we always wanted to have an international scope, but we almost thought in terms of the United States, how distant we were from some of this actual theory. I mean, everyone can name the, the five big heads, right? But not everyone can kind of talk about some of these different philosophers that, that uh, or really political activists that really took things further. I mean, like Ilyenkov, for instance. I had no idea who Ilyenkov was before the MALI. And now I, I can't even think about describing dialectical materialism without reference to Ilyenkov's work. And I mean, I think that was one of the really beautiful things about the project from the beginning was that notion of, hey, it's not just about the, the big names, and the big personalities, but it's about the actual process of really, I guess, the production of a communist society or a socialist society. Sort of, so to sort of summarize, we're, we're an academic educational institute center. We want to help educate people um, on Marxist theory, but we want to do it in a way that is still... Uh, we still want to bring rigorous sort of scientific analysis to it, so we don't want to make claims in there that USSR was paradise and earth and force people to believe it. So we want to be able to back up everything we say with evidence, with proof, with proper scientific rigor. But we also want to make sure that we're accessible um, to the public. So we don't want to be elitist. We don't want to be behind a paywall. We don't want to be. Uh, we, we don't want people to think that they need to have three degrees to be able to write for us. So. I, th I think that's that's kind of the line that we're that we're straddling. We want to be um, scientifically rigorous, but but completely still accessible. And I think that's where we come to the podcast um, from. So, like uh, like Ethan said earlier, we're we're trying to bring sort of proper Marxist theory, proper Marxist analysis of current events into a more digestible form. And not only do we want to help educate people, we also want to educate ourselves. I think through the podcast, we're really excited to interview people that we wouldn't get a chance to randomly call up and talk to otherwise. So it's an educational project to educate everybody, ourselves and other people.
Yeah, well said. And I think structurally, the way the podcast is generally going to be set up is that we're going to have, uh, you know, we're going to have, say, three to four, three to four songs per episode. And I think we're going to have like between two and three clips. And that might be that might be two and three clips from one interview. That might be two and three short interviews. That might be like a short monologue by a comrade or by a researcher and an interview. Um, some constellation of that, I think, is going to be on every episode. So I think you can definitely count on, you know, at least a couple really killer songs um, and a couple really great interviews. As far as the episode layout goes, what we're planning to do is talk to people who are actually on the ground. So we want to speak to people who are either in the communist parties or who are who are actually agitating and organizing on the ground. And we wanted to also talk about um, the experiences in actually existing socialist states. So we don't want to just sort of glorify 1917 and just talk about what happened in 1930 Russia or Ukraine. But we want to talk about how um, socialism is actually existing today, how it has proved itself to be um, uh, proved itself to work in, in the battle against the pandemic recently. We want to talk to Marxists in China. We want to talk to Marxists in Vietnam, in Kerala. So, so we also want to do that sort of focus on more niche uh, areas of of current events that aren't focused on in general mass media and we want to talk to people on the ground. We don't want to just make surmises from, from a Wikipedia page. We want to talk to people on the ground and that's um, that's our plan going forward. Yeah, well said. I think that's really, you know, as Marxist-Leninists, we support Marxist-Leninist states, right? We're not, you know, sort of trying to, you know, get engaged in this idea that, you know, there there are no socialist states, which is a fallacy. Yeah. That's, that's not who we are as a, you know, as a research organization. It's not who we are as people. And it's not who we are politically. So I think that to keep our focus international, to keep it global, and to keep it focused on the places in the world where, you know, really communist action is occurring. Yeah, I mean, I, I think really the, to kind of steal a little bit maybe from Venezuela's movement, it's like a Marxism-Leninism of the 21st century. It, we don't want to necessarily break with what happened in the 20th century, but we want to be able to say, hey, right now, what's actually going on? That doesn't mean you don't ever talk about history. That doesn't mean we don't ever, you know, quote Lenin or whatever. But actually getting to that point of Marxism-Leninism is not a dead doctrine. I mean, it's an active living science, whatever you want to call it. And we can actually trace that out and we can kind of bring it back into that public discourse and say, hey, communists are still around. And we still have things to fight for. Right. And more importantly, right, under the sort of global dominion of capital, who are the nations that stand against that? Who are the nations that stand in opposition to the sort of creeping encroachment of the U.S. into all spaces, right? I mean, who are the nations that stand in opposition to that? They're Marxist-Leninist nations, right? So I think that really to, to like offer our critical support behind that, I think, is a big part of our focus. And I think for People's Pulse Radio, I think what really sort of makes me happy about this is this idea that we do bring in music, you know, and we do show that there's a vibrant revolutionary music scene happening, you know, globally. It's not confined to certain places or places that are only sort of like socialist in name. And it's been going on for a really long time. There's been revolutionary music for as long as there's been music. So I think that, you know, in fitting with our international and global focus, I think, you know, our sort of historical focus, I think it's really important also to bring music into this, which not only sort of like adds to the listenability of a podcast, but it also highlights the fact that this isn't either violent revolution on the one hand or 
stodgy academia on the other. I mean, what more important task is there for Marxist scholars than to kind of break through that popular cultural and intellectual divide? I mean, isn't kind of part of what we do as communists try to kind of holistically bring these things together? So to recap, we here at People's Pulse Radio aim to bring you theory, critique, analysis, history, and focused interviews with those engaged both in on-the-ground struggles as well as struggles in scholarship, academia, and politics. And while doing so, we aim to liven up the listenability of this podcast by introducing you to some really great revolutionary music from all around the globe. As a Marxist-Leninist podcast, we're interested in real, positive material change. Not in speculative utopianism or in baseless abstraction, but in the betterment of actual material conditions as they exist in and upon our world. That is what this project is all about. We hope to offer you our scholarly positions... We look forward to learning alongside of you and from you, and we're always open to music suggestions and interview suggestions. For as both scholars and artists, we know that without art, without imaginative action and vibrant cultural displays, that there is no revolution. And we know that human life, human expression, is the point of all of this, the point of the struggle for a better material world. So on that note, let's pause now for a musical interlude with the incredibly relevant song Pepper Spray by the legendary Los Angeles musician Bamboo. Have a listen. Police pepper spray student protesters, and tonight, officers are on leave, and more protests are being planned. We keep going, don't stop running. They keep selling, we don't want it. So close to it, almost found a way. Two steps closer, they keep coming. Hey yo, one cop does it, two cop does it, three cop does it, and fourth cop watch it. Somebody taping, evening news playing. Twenty minutes later, big chief makes statement. Cop gets suspended, smiles at the arraignment. Cause judge just dropped the charges, rewind and replay it. So when I scream, fuck the police, that's just to grab you. Then I break the statement down over something that you could clap to. Problem at the core is like it's incest with the cords. Force feeding people to prisons, that's private. Then of course the cops play your role in keeping you on parole. To send you right back on a tear to the yard and to the hole. Keep that piggy on patrol, tell them fears how to control. If you ain't never lived here, how the fuck you supposed to know? Then again, a problem's bigger than just crooked ass pigs. Got the game already playing, keep them killing our kids. And nah. We keep going, don't stop running. They keep selling, we don't want it So close to it, almost found a way Two steps closer, they keep coming We keep telling, we don't want it Almost better, this thing's bound to break I mean, of course we need police, but not police the way we know it. These ticket writing fucking with you first thing in the morning. Treat you like a criminal, pat you down at your school. Arrest you over a quota, over racist ass rules. The officer is the overseer, power trip of Pac-Man. Only thing that's left to fill some power over a black man. Brown man, knowing no badge, man, you a rat. You could give a fuck about these little kids where you patrol at. Imagine trying to function, not trusting those to protect you. Paid to protect you, so... 
you have to protect you Who do you expect to? Last week they tried to get you Hem you up and arrest you Citation issued I mean fuck around the cop too If he hassling shit And fuck the walking dead Cause Rick is a pig Pepper spraying college kids While sitting in peaceful protest You coward motherfucker You should be beaten the open while we Keep going Don't stop running They keep selling We don't want it Welcome back. Well, what we'd now like to do, since we're getting close to the end of this episode, our introductory episode, is to sort of briefly set up our next episode, which is going to be focused, of course, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention it, it's going to focus on the BLM protests, the uprisings, and the liberation movement in the U.S. and abroad. So now listen in as our CCS fellows and People's Pulse Radio podcast hosts briefly discuss the next episode. Check it out. We decided that we'd like to have our first episode focus on the protests that are happening right now and the whole, um, the, the way that it's spread across across the U.S. And we wanted to talk to one of our CCS fellows who's on the ground um, protesting. Yeah, and we wanted to sort of focus on the way that the revolution, um, th- sorry, the way that the protests are similar to revolutions that have happened in the past, the way that they're being led by sort of oppressed, historically oppressed communities and how it's important for us to listen to their voices. And I think we also wanted to talk a little bit about the sort of the counter-revolutionary traits of people saying things like, well, they can they can protest, but they shouldn't be looting, and why that, that entire argument is completely fallacious. And also that a lot of people are talking about um, sort of, I think, the myth of the good cop, and just just talk about how that doesn't exist from the perspective of a, of a community that's targeted by the police. There is no good cop, because they're either actively um, targeting them or they're passively encouraging it. So I think we wanted to talk about that, how that plays into the racism that, that's institutionalized in a capitalist state and um, sort of really focus on, on the protests that are happening now. Right, right. And especially in the U.S. as a settler sort of colonial society, you know, the revolution in the U.S. and revolutionary action is primarily led by peoples of color and oppressed peoples. And that's not something that the sort of white left in the U.S. should talk over or uh, presume to lead, you know. Yeah, I guess I guess one thing that I thought was interesting, especially with this new wave, um, that there's been a really, at least I feel like I've seen a pretty big shift in like language and the way people are talking about these. Um, I'm not seeing nearly as many. Uh, like I remember after like Baltimore and then in Ferguson, it was all the talk about, hey, they shouldn't be looting, they shouldn't be violent, all these things. Now I'm seeing a lot more people kind of push back against that, and I'm seeing a lot more people like. Here's why all cops are bad, or here's why cops in general are bad. And it's like not something I've seen in numbers like this. It could be that all of, all of my Facebook friends purge me because um, of my views, but it does seem like overall, even people that I wouldn't expect to, you know, kind of be supportive of the protests or to like push back against the, well, they shouldn't be violent. There are good cops. Like I'm not seeing nearly as much of that. So it's been, it's been good. I, it's been a good shift, I think. And something uh, we were just talking about a little bit yesterday uh, between us was how 
so many young people seem to be kind of leading this uh, and just kind of seeing that leadership take place uh, is really uh, I guess it both enlightening uh, and it just gives you a little bit of hope for the situation uh, especially compared to I mean if we just look back again 2012 uh, anywhere around that time period it, it just really seemed like things dulled down and maybe we can even say from the mid 90s through about you know 2016 or so there really was no kind of even critical consciousness, let alone revolutionary consciousness. So seeing something like that build back up, especially uh, kind of from like the most popular level, uh, just a, a really positive trend I think we can look at as communists. The one thing that I, I would remain cautious about and that I've been worried about is um, there's always this sort of impulse when something like this come, like come, starts for like the liberal censor to kind of like come in and try to like hijack it and then steer the narrative away from like revolutionary change. Right. And, I, and I feel like it, you know, that is, is we have more of a promising moment now to not go that direction than I've seen in my lifetime. But I've always have that ever present like feeling that, you know, any minute now the liberals are going to come in and co-opt it and then steer it back to electoralism or whatever it may be. Um, you know, especially like you, I, I don't know if you've been, you guys have been seeing all the stuff about like, um, you know, oh, abolish the police. Oh, we don't mean abolish the police. We mean do all these other things, you know, when, when the liberals yeah. propose it. <laughs> right. And it's like, well, no, that's, that's the, it, that would be the difficulty with the, it get, getting co-opted. So that's the one thing I'm trying to remain hopeful about, but cautious. I think I I think it's the, we know it is in 1917 Russia we know right. that we don't have a Lenin but the the fact that these protests have started so spontaneously and from an international perspective the fact that they spread to major cities across the world right. the fact that there's so much international attention on them is I think really helpful if nothing else to bring in a sort of class consciousness among people because I think at this stage a lot of people would realize our enemy is not probably the white person on the street who's um, looking at me strange it's the cop who's willing to do the violent bidding of the capital so sort of seeing the difference between the institutionalized racism institutionalized sort of oppression and um and and, and other working class people so i think i think the point that i'm getting to is the fact that there is no revolutionary consciousness that people are beginning to realize that this is a system that can't be reformed that this is a system that's not broken, that's actually working exactly as it was meant to work, right. is, I think, really useful. So it's not 1917, but it could very well be 1905. We could be building up to something really good. Yeah, I really love that that comparison to the 1905 situation. Yeah. I mean, kind of going off what Ben was saying. I mean, we really don't, as, as much as communist organizations in the U.S. talk about building dual power, we really haven't actually accomplished that, uh, at least not nationally. I mean, we might be able to point to a, a few major urban areas and see that, but we really can't talk about, you know, true revolution in that case when we don't actually have any degree of organization to make it happen. Well, I was just going to say, in lieu of having like a really solid structure of dual power built up, right? Like, uh, like an organization willing, capable, and ready to sort of like seize state power and to like control the functions of state, right? You know, which are sort of like multifarious and multifaceted in lieu of that, right? That, like, I think this is a real sort of lesson for communists at this moment is that without that, who in society right now, from a sort of like lens of material analysis, who controls a sort of like monopoly on violence in society? 
And I think right now that, I mean, those are rightists, right? Those are the rightists that show up to the state houses with ARs and body armor, you know, helmets and plate carriers and whatnot. So I think that, I mean, this is really to see the sort of like ways in which these protests manifest themselves. I think it really is a call to the left and to the sort of revolutionary left to, you know, like use this as a 1905 sort of moment. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the thing that I keep seeing and, you know, this has been my frustration in organizing for so, you know, for so long is that you would, you would show up and you would go to these protests, you would go to these things and it's, you know, it seemed like something was happening and then it would just dissipate. You know, and without any like long term plan, without any organizational structure in place to like carry out long term goals and like move it up the, the chain of power, it's it, it just is sort of this spontaneous uprising, which is, of course, we support, we're behind. But again, I, you know, I remember the, the example I always give is um, when the Muslim ban happened uh, back when Trump first got elected. And I remember everyone was flooding the airports. I mean, they shut down the airports completely, like, don't do this. And then, like, after two or three days, everybody just left. And then the Muslim ban was still in power. And it was like, it was so great to see so many people come out and support. But there was no long-term strategy. There was nothing other than just, like, let's just show up and, you know, tell them that we're angry. And, like, that's great. But what what else do you have to do to, to accomplish anything besides that? Um, and that's always been my frustration and something I, I continually think about when there's a moment like this where there's true potential what can happen after this there's only so long that people can stay in the streets they can be doing these things um you know besides people get worn out people have jobs people have lives you can't be doing this for months and months on end going out to the capital to protest every day um, there has to be something else right yeah i think the sort of you know to speak to the character of this right the sort of level of violent repressive state backlash that's happening with the lynchings in california you know the sort of like you know the taking out of like organ you know organizers and sort of revolutionary leaders at this point i, I think it really speaks to the sort of potential of this movement and for sure there has to be like there's got to be strategizing for what comes after yeah i mean it's almost like we're seeing an echo of a uh, Pro but it's happening a little earlier in the historic moment this time. So it's almost like they're trying to kind of nip the bud now rather than let things actually develop. And I think one thing we we should mention too is that, I mean, maybe for the first time in a few decades, we actually do have some parties that are starting to attempt to break out onto the national stage, which is an amazing development to see. But again, it's that notion of not getting ahead of ourselves and recognizing that just because that trend is building, whether that's CPUSA or PSL, or whoever, just because it's building doesn't necessarily mean it's there ready. Yeah, and, and I feel there's always this urge, and I think I think somebody mentioned this earlier, but there's always this urge as communists to be like, this is a time, this is a moment. Every generation thinks that they're witnessing that next crisis of capital, that next crisis um, that, that's going to lead to something more, and it really hasn't happened. And this looks promising. Um, but I, I, yeah, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves and be like, this is a moment, you know, we're seeing it right now as, as nice as that would be. I think, I think if I could jump in with a little bit of optimism, like as communists, we're Marxist Leninists because we know that one is that we don't know when it's going to happen, but it's important for us to sort of seize this moment in the sense, not, not in an opportunistic sense, but more in a, so to, to show the contradictions of capitalism, to show why this is a system that is bound to fail, and to help educating the masses, I think that's what um, that 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 remains our role even more so at this moment. So whether or not this re- leads to a revolution, if there's even 
um if there's even one person who's radicalized by this we know that we've done some part in the whole thing so i think it's important that we remember that it's not just about sort of academic theory when when times like this come we need to be able to answer that with theory we need to be able to say that this happened because of this and in a system like this this is going to keep happening you can't reform capitalism so i think that even if and it it most likely won't become another 1917 because we don't have another lenin we don't have someone who's able to rally people who's able to you know come up with a slogan like peace land and bread who's able to lead people so what we can do is we can educate we can um show support we can show them that communists are inherently um egalitarian that we support these causes that we agree with them and that that is important to us as communists so i think that whether or not this leads to a revolution is is by the by i think the main thing is whether um it brings out the westerners and sort of we show people why 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 the answer is communism to not sound very religious you know what i mean yeah no i i absolutely agree i and i like i was mentioning earlier i've seen a lot of people um kind of have that shift in mentality that like okay we've had this happen for so long and we keep saying this department is going to get reformed or whatever and people are like looking for answers and they're they're confused they're frustrated because something nothing has been changing um and i think i think you're right on that that our job should just be kind of like to be there to be like hey you guys have questions about this these these are what we have to say this is our this is our answer these are the things that you're probably concerned about that way people don't just feel helpless and they don't just feel like you know nothing's ever going to change that there is like a path forward that it's not just every city's individualized one or two bad apple cops are are messing everything up it's you know it's it, this is functioning like it was designed and i think yeah. that's that's important so on that note we'd like to conclude our introductory episode what is going to be the first episode of many more to come. We hope you enjoyed the music. We hope you enjoyed hearing a little more about us, and we hope you'll join us next time in a couple of weeks for our next episode. Here at People's Pulse Radio, we hope to not just be yet another communist podcast, but to fill a much-needed gap in what is already a well-stocked and vibrant sea of revolutionary podcasting. We at People's Pulse, and by extension those of us at the Center for Communist Studies, are active scholars, educators, and researchers. And we strive to not only lend our voices and our experience to revolutionary struggles everywhere, but to be a leading voice in the academic pursuit of Marxist-Leninist, communist, and revolutionary theory and practice. These podcasts will always be free, we'll never monetize them, and we'll never keep them behind a paywall. As soon as we record and edit them, we'll be sure to get them up, and if you follow us over at Communist Center or Communist Pulse on Twitter, or at our Center for Communist Studies page on Facebook, We'll be sure to keep you up to date with the latest information regarding episode schedules and topics. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time on People's Pulse.